I might actually shoot. No, we'll leave video on. I think I can take the sound off the video. I think there's a way to do that. Okay. One second then. I just check something. Let's go back. Yeah. Okay. Amy, is a plan B? Do you want to just voice record your this as well with a different device, just so you've got a backup if it doesn't work? Um, or I can do that here. Yeah, because I don't know where my phone is. So do you want me to do that? Yeah, that would be good. I don't. I don't know where my phone. I've I've recorded Skype calls before. It's been okay, but we normally had the video off, so I just don't know. I think it'll probably be fine. Are you recording? Sorry, James. Yeah, yeah, just recording on my phone. All oh, right, okay. Should we start then? Let's start. I'm ready when you are. All right. Okay. Welcome, everyone, to this latest episode of the Built Broadcast podcast. We've got another episode where we're recording from home today. Um, actually, everyone's recording from home since we're still following social distancing measures. Um, so just today, we've got our Bill Academic Fellows, and they're just going to share a little bit about the work that they've been doing at home and how they're finding it and how their students are finding it. So first, I'll let them introduce themselves. So Zoe. Hi, so I'm Zoe Palmer. I'm a lecturer in physiology, pharmacology and neuroscience. Um, so teaching our science students, but also teaching medics and vets and dentists as well. Um, and running uh, our new MSI course, uh, well, helping to run our new MSI course as well. James. Hi, I'm James and I teach engineers how to design buildings predominantly. Um, so I've been teaching third years and second years over the last few weeks. Christian. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, yeah, my name is Christian Spielman. I'm a reader in economics education and also a BUILD fellow. I'm currently also head of teaching in economics. Uh, so I'm thinking a lot about uh, getting our teaching online and uh, how to kind of create a, a really good product for our students. Cool. cool. Okay. So. Christian, it would be good to start with you because we've talked before about um, some of the, you know, bef before this this whole outbreak, we've talked before about you doing podcasts with your students. Um, so I know you've got quite a bit of experience of moving some of your teaching online anyway. So do you want to talk about a bit about what you've been doing recently? Sure. Um, yeah, so, so we, we've been uh, teaching with both with podcasts and also with webinars uh, before all this started. And we did that because we thought uh, it, it's actually a 
good way of like using technology and using online media as a good way of getting some uh, material out of the uh, out of the lectures, out of the contact time, to then free up time and um, use the, the the contact time in a in a more meaningful way where where learning really is is, is possible. So that's something we have been thinking about before, um, and uh, well. Since we are now forced to, to use technology and online learning, uh, we have I have used webinars. So the webinars I um, we we basically taught and they were directly streamed to to YouTube uh, where students could um, uh, uh, watch those. And um, because we have used that stuff before, we have quite a number of technology. But I think it's always worth to say you can teach with webinars with very, very simple uh, simple means as well. So uh, there's Blackboard Collaborate, uh, which you can use, and it's, it's pretty easy to, uh, to, to, to get the technology right. And yeah, we, we have just used different, uh, different technology here, but, but it, it's very easy to use webinars more simply. So have you all been using Blackboard Collaborate? Because one thing I've been hearing um, from students is that they really enjoyed using that. And I know from the statistics, it shot up like massively its use recently. Yeah, I've been using it. How have you been finding it? How have you been finding it? Yeah, um, interesting, challenging. I, I find it quite challenging. Um, I don't know how other people feel. I really miss that like feedback that you get from being in a room of people. And so I literally just feel like I'm talking to my computer most of the time, um, which feels pretty weird because um, you don't even get to see, like, I, I can see you guys at the moment and you're nodding along, which is really nice. Whereas when you use Brisk or Collaborate, I literally get nothing. Um, so I keep encouraging them to click on the little emoticons and then I feel a little disheartened when my, you know, 3% of my students actually bother to give me a thumbs up or whatever. And I think, well... <laughs> what are the rest of you doing? So it's been interesting. Um, so there are also some technical problems. So I, I do a lot of kind of examples where I write stuff, and I've been trying to do that with Blackboard Collaborate, and it, it's really not um, designed for that. So you can there is a whiteboard, so you can write on it, but as soon as you jump to the next page, all your writing disappears. So you end up with um, losing it all again. Um, so uh, yeah, I've had a few technical technical interesting moments over the last few weeks. Interesting. So I, we've, we were using it for um, poster presentations. And actually, I thought it was quite good because I could share the posters and then the students could just talk through it. And I thought that although obviously you don't get that human interaction, for any students that feel stressed about presenting things, actually, not having to do it in person could actually alleviate some of their worries. So I'm not saying it should replace presentations completely, but especially for first years where it might be like their first time presenting something, doing it over Blackboard Collaborate was actually, I thought it worked quite well. Yeah, so we've been using the, the chat window uh, a lot uh, in, in the sessions, also with the larger webinars. and. It's quite interesting because it, it is a different feel to, to ask a question in front of 300 uh, other students or just type something in uh, mm -hmm. into a chat window where you are, kind of know that there are 300, but it feels different. So um, we, we sometimes get good questions uh, using the chat window. 
Uh, just on, on your point, Zoe, where you get them to present, I really like that idea. Do they share their screen or do they have to send their presentations in beforehand and then you um, ask them to present? I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about next year and I'd, I'd quite like to do something along those lines with one of my units, but I wasn't quite sure what the best way to approach it would be. So they all submitted their posters into Blackboard and then our admin team then circulated the right posters to the different groups. Um, so I, I had an email with 10 posters attached, which I then uploaded onto my computer and just shared in turn. Um, and it, it worked. I thought it worked quite well. Yeah, cool. I've heard from some, I was speaking to a couple of colleagues um, that work in the French department the other day, and they were saying what's funny is the students who are normally really quiet in their classes are much more vocal using the, the chat and collaborate, and the ones that are normally, you know, more willing to put their hand up and stuff are actually quieter in the chat. And they said it's really a really weird change that they've seen, but but really good for those students who are normally shy about kind of sharing their thoughts. Yeah, I think when we when we say oh oh it's good or it's working well, um, I think we all say that a little bit from that point of view. Wow, there was such a huge challenge when we when when we kind of were all asked to to go online, and and in a way we are all quite happy that it it wasn't a total disaster. So so the the direct reaction is like oh we we're maybe quite happy, um, and and it's it's working well. But I think we we shouldn't underestimate the importance of face-to-face uh, -face interaction for 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 what we do. Um, so that, yeah, I think there are certain things we can use online technology in a really good way going forward, but. There is just still a, a really, really strong argument to be made for face-to-face -face interaction, which we will never quite overcome. Yeah, completely. Um, and I guess I guess that moves on nicely to, like Zoe, your your subject in particular of everyone's is such a, a, a kind of hands hands-on subject. How how have your students been finding the move to online, do you think? So it's definitely challenging. Um, we haven't had that many sort of classic wet practicals to to have to move online. Um, some of the things we've been doing is sort of histology practicals and things like that. And we already have that as a digital microscope. So the students are able to access that um, any time of day, you know, wherever they are in the world. So so the histology side of things, that's been that's been OK. Um, and we've had sort of simulations and things like that that we've already had videoed. It, we haven't yet, um, or I haven't at least, had to do a sort of proper wet practical. Um, and we are absolutely in the middle of planning those and how we're going to potentially do those next year. Um, it might be that we we if we can get back into buildings eventually we sort of can video a small group of people going through the practical and and students can watch that and then answer questions but it it's not going to replace them being able to actually do practicals just watching someone else um we're going to have to be quite inventive i think but it might be that we we, we do a sort of pared down things and then when we hopefully can get things back up in the building we might do intense practical weeks almost you know to but we yeah at the moment we're not quite sure how it's going to work 
And I'm sure everyone agrees that the the uncertainty which which we face is is just really tricky because we don't quite know what we are planning for. So we we spend hours and hours every day to think about what we could do, but we don't even know whether this is possible or uh, when it will be possible. So it's quite a quite a special situation, yeah. <laughs> I I feel though like there is. Um... I don't know. I, I feel like there is an opportunity here to kind of imagine kind of multiple scenarios and actually create a, a kind of an education that would work in all of them and mm. actually that would be richer in all of those scenarios rather than only suited to one particular one. And I think it does feel like there is opportunity as well as a, a significant number of challenges to overcome. So, uh, yeah, I think like... Like, for example, we're, we're, we were talking about labs and we're debating how we might do labs next year. And, and there's lots of different approaches that we're thinking about. There's lots of creative approaches we're thinking about. And actually, for years, one of the big problems we've had is just how do we get as many the number of students we have through the labs in a sensible time scale? And, and, and that problem is not going away. And actually, it's becoming more and more of a problem as our courses grow. And so therefore, actually trying to solve that problem, of, OK, well, we've, if we've got no labs, how do we do labs? That, that doesn't just solve things for next year in terms of a short term problem. It also might give us some clues as to how we could carry on doing labs in slightly different and more creative ways as things ch change again. Because, you know, the, the problem of, of having more students do the course it is not one that I see disappearing anytime soon. So I, mm. I feel like there's opportunity alongside the challenge. Yeah, I really agree with James uh, here. So um, I've been talking to my colleagues a lot about what I call an adaptive learning design. So the idea is that we'll definitely have to cater for purely online students. So even if we can open up, uh, to some degree, uh, there might be, because of personal circumstances, might not be possible for everyone to be here. So like thinking about how can we go 100% uh, online and then which elements can we shift from online to face-to-face -face, and maybe in the future if we have to shift back to online again. Um, that is, I think, something which, uh, which could at the end uh, create quite a quite a strong learning design, which uh, any elements we, we really want to uh, take with us into the future as well, I think. It shouldn't be just for one year then. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, we're already triple teaching practicals where there's 80 or 90 students in the room. If we have to socially distance, the answer surely can't just be to teach the same practical 10 times or you know that's just it's just not feasible so we need we definitely do need to be thinking about more creatively how we can how we can make this work going forward um however that might be i think what i like is that we are really starting to think about when is face-to-face -face interaction most useful and for for the learning process and i think that is a but all the kind of difficulties which we face and and we would all hope have hoped that this had never happened of course uh but this is a a good discussion to to, to have so um i know this discussion is going on in you know with bill at the moment and we we've kind of been thinking well two things one thing is say in january you know 
by some miracle everything's back to normal and we have all students back on campus will we just completely revert back to the way we were teaching before or is this something that's going is this change you know it's going to stay in place forever you know even if, if if the situation completely goes away um and the other thing we're talking about is yes definitely it's it's great for everyone to do this adaptive learning design but are do people because obviously you three are very much in touch with you know teaching practices but i think we have a we're very conscious that a lot of people aren't or aren't really interested and so how do we kind of connect with those people um who maybe aren't as aware of those sorts of things so the, the first one do you think we'll we'll go sorry do you think we'll, we will go back to the the old way even when things become more normal I think it would be a wasted opportunity if potentially if we did do that. I mean, well, I suppose it would be what what's the point of everybody working their socks off over the summer to create something amazing if then we just chuck it out in January? I suppose I would hope that if we are all going to spend as much time as we are making something great, then it should be put it should be integrated in in the future and back into what we're doing in January or in the future? I mean, my, my personal experience with teaching is, uh, um, is that I tend to iterate courses. So every year the course is slightly better because I make a few changes here or there. And, and actually what we're doing is we're creating a whole load of new teaching resources. And if things go back to normal, those teaching resources are still there. So I, I can't imagine why you would suddenly stop sharing them. If you create you know, a series of short videos that people can watch or podcasts that people can listen to or notes that are maybe a bit more structured than the, your, the current notes that you have, why would you suddenly say, well, actually, I don't need those anymore? Like, I feel like there is a richness of resource which we're going to create and I'm sure people will continue to use. Yeah. And and to my mind, it, it, it becomes, like at the moment, maybe a lot of people's teaching practice is quite linear in terms of they do one thing um, multiple times during the course of a term. And actually what this is going to force us to do is become more non-linear in terms of there are different pathways. So students might come to lectures or they might watch online resources or they might listen to podcasts or they might read the notes or hopefully they'll interact with a whole variety of different things. And, and actually it moves away from there is a single source of knowledge and you must come along and learn all that knowledge and then regurgitate to actually there's this lovely body of knowledge that you can interact with and learn from. And, and it kind of forces you to think more critically about the knowledge that you're being presented with. And also it kind of makes you think, well, hang on a minute. OK, there's all this different kind of bits that I'm engaging with. Maybe there's other knowledge out there as well that I could add in as well, which, to be honest, our students already do. If they are not enjoying a particular style of lecture, they'll go online and they'll find the information somewhere else. Or, you know, so we kind of almost kid ourselves. We think that our, our lecture series is the only place they're getting information from anyway. So I just think what we're doing is creating this lovely portfolio of, of kind of um, different things that we can then continue to offer to students. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. And um, I guess we will also learn much more which parts of uh, our teaching, where, where, we, where do we really miss the face-to-face the -face interaction? And then as soon as we can do that, we'll, we'll use all the time we have to focus on those activities and where will students tell us and where will we experience ourselves that actually the, the, the using an online resource is is a really good substitute 
the, the thing I really worry about in, in next term, or really worry, the thing that it, it kind of exercises me the most is how do we create social interaction space? So I think the thing our students will miss the most is probably not so much the lecture as the five minutes before the lecture starts and they sit down and next to someone. And especially in their first year where they don't know so many people, it's, you know, maybe a chance that, oh, what, you know, do you remember what this is or, you know, how are you doing? Or there's space to have a conversation or in the middle of a lecture, if you say now just turn to the person next to you and answer this mm. question. You know, the, we all know that the first five minutes of that time is spent not talking about the question. It will be talking about something else. And then eventually they might get to the question. And I, I worry the thing I worry about with the digital stuff is actually those social interaction spaces that we lose. And I'd love to think really creatively about how we can, as best as we can, and I know it's not going to be the same, but how can we create those spaces within our digital portfolio as well? So I think um, one of the, I know there's going to be a decision made on next year very, very soon. Well, I think this morning that they're trying to make a decision on it at UMT. And one of the options on the table for first years is to, put them like to create these living learning communities where in halls they bunch students together from the same subjects and put them in the same flats um, and it means that they can live and study together and so it was it it kind of removes that need for social distancing if you have students that have all kind of kept themselves together moving around in groups in that way that, that's one that's one one of the two I think main suggestions for first years next year is a way to bring them on campus but stop any major spread um, through halls what do you think of that idea <laughs> I think it's I think it's a really good idea in te in terms of um trying to mitigate so you know uh, covid spread and things like that and, and that's brilliant and peer-peer -peer learning but it makes me a little bit sad because like some of my best friends from university did English and uh, philosophy and you know psychology and things like that and and it's, I think it's a really rich part of university is meeting people from other disciplines. Yeah. But then maybe we just need to be more creative. Maybe if that's how it goes, then it's our job to make sure that social sciences do still meet medical students and, you know, dentists meet English students. I don't know, you know, but it, 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 I find that a little bit sad. One of my worries with that as well, and I, I don't know what the right number is, but I think there's probably an optimum social group numbers that where it becomes easy to meet your people without feeling like you're stuck with a whole load of people you don't really get on with. And so, I, you know, often when you see a tutor group, sometimes a tutor group really flourishes and they become best buddies, but quite often they're six students and they don't really connect. And there's no reason why they should. And, I, you know, I often observe that they all have their own peer groups, but it's just not that particular tutor group. Yeah. And, and I think that the danger of making a group too small is you get that. But if you make a group too big, then no one ever meets anyone. And my gut feel is if you can create groups of about 30 to 40, there's enough flexibility to move around and meet enough people that you'll meet your your people, the people you kind of get on with. But at the same time, you, you know, so you don't feel trapped in a group that's too small, but you also don't feel overwhelmed by a group that's so big that you never bump into the same person twice. Yeah. And I, I think thinking thinking about those sort of problems is going to be really important as we do this. I also really would strongly um, support Zoe's point about that social group outside of 
your subject like engineers and medics and dentists and uh, vets and I think a lot of these subjects they probably spend 25 to 30 hours together studying every week anyway so creating other spaces where they can meet other people is still really important like they already will be spending a lot of time together in either virtually or in person yeah i agree i guess it it, it can be quite quite therapeutic if if you talk to someone else who is not also struggling with this one assignment which is due at eight o'clock tomorrow and i think that it's just important to have these other contacts as well just for your for your well-being um we, we think a lot in, in, in terms of learning groups or, or talk about learning groups, which are maybe around 30 or so. And, and could we create some identity for that one uh, learning group and exchange? I mean, I'm not, we're not that far yet in, in our thinking, but uh, could there be a f Facebook or something for that learning group to, to exchange? Um, ideas, comments, a bit of personal information to, to create some sort of identity. But I think I agree with James that identity for a, a group and, and con contact with others who are, who are in that learning group and then also engagement I think that will be the hardest what, what we have to what we have to tackle not necessarily how do we uh, explain this model or something which is very subject specific. Also there we are quite good already maybe, right? Because we have been doing that for a long time, but we're not necessarily trained in creating social interaction, uh, especially not online. I think we, um, well, I had a big chat with our student fellows about a month ago about next year and how would it work and they said you kind of have to treat it is first and second years and third and fourth years and they're going to have completely different needs when it comes to um, online or blend blended learning in the first and second years. Is, the second years they said because this year they've had half a year cut off so actually you in a way have to treat them as first years in terms of um, creating social connections because they've not had a full year to kind of do that and so that's that those they said one great thing to do would be to create groups of 30 40 students who um are together as like a, a cohort who move through who have like a more of an informal relationship with they connect on a face group um face group facebook group together and that's that's kind of a, a way to create a community when people aren't together which is exactly what you guys said um, and then third and fourth years they said they're less bothered about that but one thing they're now super bothered about is their you know their their aspects when they finish their degree their career aspects and obviously moving into a post-covid world where we're looking at a major major different economy and um that's suddenly obviously they were bothered before but that has ramped up significantly recently and also the value of their degree now it being done online and whether it's still worth as much to employers like all that sort of thing and so they said that you can't just treat everyone as one, you know, students now. It really has to be split up across the, the different years. Yeah. Um, so. Amy. Yeah. You asked another question about people who are feeling less confident. Yes. About delivering in this way. And I, I, I don't think there are easy answers, but I do think um, there are a few things that are worth kind of thinking about. So. Like I, I would, um, I would always start with kind of what what do you think is good about what you do now, and actually you know kind of focus on that and try and work out what that is, and then 
try and replicate that like i think there is a danger for people who are feeling a little bit overwhelmed that what they've now got to do is create you know 20 20 minute animations you know which are produced at really high quality with you know professional sound and this that and the other and i i i feel like actually if we could just say don't worry about that actually for for most teachers for most staff the thing that students like about them is probably their their knowledge their expertise their approachability hopefully you know their kind of personality and yeah and capturing that stuff is, is what matters and so like for a podcast yeah you could spend a long time creating a podcast i ran a podcast for one of my units this term and um, to give them a little bit extra i literally recorded it on my phone i uploaded it onto blackboard it took me a you know, kind of the chat was half an hour. It took me another 20 minutes to upload it. And that was it. And I, I didn't clean up the audio. I didn't use any professional equipment. I just went as low tech as possible. And yeah, if I was sharing that with the world, if I was trying to, you know, put it on iTunes and everything else, I probably would have done a little bit of other stuff. But actually, I think probably the benefit to students is, you know, the, the return is, is, is really quickly lost in terms of all that extra effort. And actually what they really want is, is is human connection. They want to be able to ask you questions. They want to kind of know what you're thinking. They got, do, do you know what I mean? And, and I yeah. think a lot of that stuff is repli replicable quite easily. Uh, actually, it's not that hard to record short bursts of lecture and ask questions in between or record podcast. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I think sometimes we can make people feel like the bar is really high. Yeah. And that's not, that's not the reality. I, I love that. I, I haven't watched any, but I love... There was a post about an English teacher, um, so not university school, who I, I just, she stood in front of a flip chart and there were 40,000 people watching her on YouTube. And I just thought that's, you know, that's brilliant. That's, that is absolutely the sort of level of teaching that I want to do. I, I want to do something that's simple, that I'm comfortable with, and that, you know, that my students will be able to connect with, and it doesn't have to be super high tech. No, no. Also, I think we, already we we all have totally different uh teaching styles right and that was that makes university uh, like a rich experience so uh, why would we now say okay everyone has to uh squeeze in this precise format to run their run their units yeah. so yeah. i think there will be also variety and there will be things which students like from from all the units and these will be different things. And and that's great. I mean, I, I would just say also stick to what you are good at and, and where you see your, your, your strength also in this new world. I think we, at the moment, we're looking at doing a kind of online design course. And it's interesting you saying that because we were really we thought maybe it would be good to provide to people like a weekly in a week you should do this one of these types of activities you know like it's, it's hard to explain like not prescriptive like you need to have a forum conversation and you need to share a video but some um like some some structure but do you know it's nothing that do you think people should just be more free to kind of do it the way that they feel is naturally right for them and their students I think both and I think structure for people who are worried can be really helpful and actually making it like simplifying it, making it really accessible is really, really important. But I think at the same time, if people want to do it differently, then they absolutely should. I, I, I think the one thing that I think every course should have, every unit should have is a, a kind of a weekly point of interaction. 
Yeah. I actually don't think a unit needs lectures. You know, you can run a unit. I ran a unit last year with no lectures at all. I gave them really, really in-depth notes. I gave them some examples to watch as videos, but I didn't do any lectures at all on the unit. Like, that, there are lots of different ways that students can learn about the content. I think the one thing that's essential is that that moment where you all come together and there can be a discussion, a conversation. If they're stuck, they can ask the questions. You know, they can talk to each other. They can talk to you. I think that that's the bit that, that I think every unit probably should have. But how you get to that point and what happens after that point each week can look different, I would have thought. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I, I guess there, there are certain differences between, like, the, the virtual space is a different space than like, the, the, the physical lecture, lecture space. And I think... Um, independently on how exactly we design um, different elements in our teaching, it's worth thinking about what that difference is. So um, engagement is already difficult in the lecture room, uh, but, but we know educational research tells us it, it's important. That's how we learn best, right, by engaging. So now making sure that points of engagement are in my teaching and then thinking about how do I create those in an online world? And they can be very low tech and they can be uh, more high tech. That, that is important. So I think having a bit of a structure and thinking about there, there are certain elements which just make learning happen in the online world or, 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 or facilitate and make it easier to learn in the online world. And I think that that's good, but then you don't want to be too prescribed, I think. Yeah. It's a, diff it's a difficult um, ba balance to find, isn't it? But I guess as long as you have things out there to support people who are approaching this with really not a clue how to engage students in the online world, then I think I think that's that's okay. Zoe, do you have anything to add there? Oh, I suppose I was just thinking about the practicalities of, of all of this and just people who are struggling to homeschool their children and keep their research groups going and wonder whether to furlough their um, their researchers and how easy it's going to be for them to start recording podcasts and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, suppose I was just having a really practical hat on. I, yeah. it's, it's hard, isn't it? And, and I think obviously being uh, a Pathway 3 person, I'm thinking about how I'm going to create, you know, good learning experience for my students. If I was trying to run a research group, I'd probably be having a very different mental conversation at the moment. So that's all I, I was thinking about, that, really. I think that's, that's, yeah. I think it might make sense to, or the university has to also think about um, how we support people in different situations in life right and uh, I, I think we are just all very differently affected by uh, by the current situation and I think there uh, there needs to be an acknowledgement and, and, and when we think about uh, teaching allocations about uh, teaching matrix then to take that into account somehow to to make sure that everyone contributes what is possible for him or her um, and 
I, I guess one answer or, or one suggestion is to, to think also more about teaching teams because that just creates one, increases the level of flexibility a little bit. Like if, if one person finds it hard to, uh, to create this weekly podcast or maybe someone else can do it, right? And if you have a group of, of a few people uh, running a module, then that it's just more flexibility. And I think it's, it's worth thinking in that direction. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, definitely. And it gives the flexibility as well for, you know, obviously people have more are trying to work more flexibly around other commitments and it might be well yeah you you can't do the the three o'clock forum but someone else can pick that up because you're going to do something at eight o'clock in the morning or whatever so i think that's a really nice idea thinking about teams of people i yeah. think that's yeah that's really great okay great um i think we've covered a lot of what we were gonna talk about now is there is there anything else that anyone wanted to share any any kind of top tips to the people listening who are kind of worried about facing this challenge in the next few months that we haven't already said i think we should all be honest to each other what we uh find challenging and uh what we like doing and where, where we think our strengths are and where we think we'd rather not do that uh, as a certain task. Um, I think openness and, and just yeah, kind of a culture of, 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 of sharing and, and trying to create this uh, in teams and together is, is, is I think, a way which, which will help everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose... It sounds obvious, doesn't it? But talking to each other across faculties as much as possible, because there's a lot of really good stuff already out there. You know, you're saying you're, you've already done podcasts and we were talking to someone um, who's in our faculty, not in our department, but in our faculty, who used to run online courses in his previous institution. You know, there is a wealth of information out there. And it's, it's I think when we're all working at home, it's quite easy to feel a bit isolated and actually we do need to talk more across and that's i guess what sort of built in the the, the online digital um you know daily digital things are helping with but but yeah we need we do need to listen to each other so we're not all just reinventing the wheel basically i think there's a challenge there as well though because i sorry i really agree with you but i also i don't know how anybody else feels i feel like my head is so full of information at the moment that I just cannot hold on to anything new. And so, and, and I, you know, I've read so many policies and I'm not sure which one is the latest one and everything is just muddled. So I really agree with you, but I think there is also a sense of being kind to each other in terms of how we mm. share that. So sharing that in a way that's really simple, really accessible, you know, not 58 pages of A4 dense type. Do you, do you know what I mean? I think yeah. doing, doing it in ways that are just gonna help each other would be, is really important right now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There isn't there isn't the time in the day to read all of the documents that you want to read, is there? <laughs> really not. I have not seen these documents, but they sound riveting. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so. 
Dirty now, how trendy now. I'll edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> My brain's gone blank. <laughs> I think um, you should leave it, Amy, because I think one of the things that we should be really like encouraging people to be okay with is when you make mistakes, like if you're recording a lecture or whatever, if you make a mistake, there's a really strong kind of desire to want to go back and constantly update it and make it perfect. Mm. Well, I actually think there's something really kind of beautiful about mistakes that enable our students to feel like to see us as people rather than these perfect academics. And so actually, I feel like it's good to have mistakes in there because actually, like, that's one of the things I think that worries people about doing digital stuff is it's got to be perfect. And you can't have like you going, oh, I can't quite remember what I was going to say now. Or, <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? Whereas I think actually, if that's still in there, that actually brings us down to a kind of a human level and it enables our students to feel more confident, for example, asking questions because they realise that we're, we're people who are like their people and all of that stuff. So I would, I think mistakes are good. All right. Maybe I'll leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> all right well if um if everyone's if everyone's kind of said what they want to say then i guess we'll we'll end it here um but thanks thanks everyone for taking part and it's nice to see you all right nice to see you nice to hear you yeah you too <laughs> um and we'll, we'll catch up soon and thanks for listening <laughs> bye 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 everyone <laughs> Bye. <laughs>